arrived. Okay, here we are at Sherry O'Terry's home. What a lovely Terrio Castle. Lovely. Oh, hell. You're just in time for bone time. <laughs> All the dogs are getting their bone. So, what are you guys doing these days? Are you writing? Are you reading? Are you listening? Are you watching? Tell me. You know, I always love hearing from you guys, and I just want to thank everybody who's been sending me tweets and emails um, from all over the world. It's very... I, I really can't tell you how fantastic it is. Um, even some people are doing art. Thank you for that. That's so great. Um, if you ever do want to write, it's firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com, and I always respond to you. Always, always, always. Maybe not right away, but I always will. Um, it's just very satisfying, you know, when we have these discussions, because I, I love... This podcast was born out of uh, a necessity to give more platform, more platforms to women and to share their stories and their voices. And so in a climate that, you know, is a real shocker to me to find out how low the glass ceiling was um, after the election where Trump got elected. And um, now I kind of go, at least I can do something. At least I can... You know, if I talk to women about what they're doing, I know it's going to inspire somebody somewhere in the world, and that's very satisfying. So when you write to me and tweet at me, man, that's pretty great. Um, don't forget, by the way, the last Sunday of every month, we do a live Insta chat. Uh, so go and find me on uh, my Instagram account, at Sneekus, S-N-I-E-C-K-U-S, and join in the conversation. Because we always talk about the spark question, which is the question of the month. And we also plug anything that you're working on, which I love. Love the idea of supporting creative ventures that you're working on. So uh, join me, please. Why don't you? Uh, so I was thinking about what to talk to you about today. Because I always like to have a little bit of a chat before I introduce our guest. And um, I watched the Gary Shandling documentary a couple nights ago, and it's really stuck with me. It's, it's so good that I, honestly, I turned it off and I thought, I have to watch this with Matt because he'll get equally as inspired. And um, I could watch it again right now. Like, as soon as it was done, I was like, I kind of want to watch that again. There's so many um, things that rang true for me, especially in this, this co comedic world that I often lived in. You know, Gary Shandling was one of the smartest and funniest minds, I think, of our time. And um, watching him struggle to not only be funny, but to maintain a level of authenticity, it was a real wake-up call, you know, to make sure that I'm not doing things halfway, you know? And if it is just for comedy's sake, I think that's still valid. My The best thing in the world for me is the idea that I get to make people laugh. That's like, oh my God, that's incredible. That I have a job that I get to go out and make people laugh is beyond a dream come true. So I watched this documentary and just watching him struggle with the um, search of your voice and the search of your own truth. I think that's a really, that's I think a lifetime of struggle. So I was watching this and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so inspired. I want to go write. I want to go direct. I want to go act. I want to go make people laugh. And then I was also like, depressed because I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to get to that level. Like it's sort of this 
catch 22. Do you ever feel that when you think I, I've got so much to do, which is inspiring. And then in the same breath, it's like, Oh my God, I've got so much to do. Um, cause there are, there's a lot of projects and it all comes down to the idea of just making people laugh. Um, which kind of leads to what I wanted to talk to you about today, which is burnout. How do you guys deal with burnout? Uh, recently, May, for me, May 2018, not sure when you're listening to this, uh, was brutal. It was brutal. It was, uh, I had some personal stuff go on and then my dog got sick and then family stuff. It was just like, it all came out at once and, um, kind of smacked me in the face. So in my brain, I was like, I need to recharge. I need to recharge. And I would talk to people and say, oh, I need to recharge. And then I can't remember where I read this. Maybe it was Brene Brown or something about changing your mindset. And I, I had to stop saying I need to recharge and start saying I am recharging because I am, you know, I'd go to our little cabin in nature and that would be a level of recharge or I'd go see, you know, an amazing show and that would be recharging. So I had to say instead of I need to, which is sort of in the future and not reachable, I had to say I am. And that's really changed my brain. I think I still am recharging right now because it was such a, a tricky time. But I also recognize that I get burnt out. I just, I work, I, I like my job so much that I want to create every day. But I can wake up at six in the morning and work until midnight. Just doing things, producing, reaching out to people, writing letters, um, working on firecracker department. There's always something I can do. And I have to recognize the value of recharging and also the recognition that sometimes I do burn out. And then what do you do? So what do you do when you burn out? Because I think everybody does. I mean, I don't think anybody doesn't need time to regroup. Um, getting into nature helps me reboot. It's getting uh, around friends that make me feel loved and make me feel um, in included. That's a huge one. Uh, being around people that make me laugh or make me think. I love that. Like having connections, that really helps me recharge. Um, that's going to be the next question for the spark questions. So I would love to hear from you guys about how you recharge because I think it's really important. And I think often, you know, this, we have so much at our fingertips with social media to create. So really the idea of not being able to create is not in the vocabulary anymore. You can't say, well, I, I don't have enough money to buy a camera. Well, everybody has a phone. So create something with your phone and you can't say, well, I don't have um, anybody to hold the camera for me. <laughs> well, you get a selfie stick. You know, there's always ways to create now, which also lends itself to a level of burnout. So beware. Burnout is real. As my co-producer of Firecracker Department, Caitlin Curcio says, it's, it's real. It's out there. Beware. Uh, hey, other thing that's happening right now is we're getting ready for TIFF. And I'm so jazzed about this. Because um, we're doing a bunch of really cool projects during TIFF this year. And you can follow me on Instagram at Sneakus or at FirecrackerDEPT. And uh, see what the, what the buzz, what's happening. What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. Uh, find out what we're doing. One of the things we are doing is having seven interviews. I'm going to interview seven, maybe more, if I can squeeze them in. Um, firecracker uh, interviews with past, present, and future TIFF uh, people. I'm so excited about this. Um, 
we always t- talk too long. Somebody said the other day that they only had half an hour to talk to me. And I was like, oh, how could I do that? Which will be a great challenge. I don't know. Maybe we'll only talk about movies. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, so we're going to do that during TIFF. The other thing I'm doing is I have connected with a friend of mine who's this fabulous designer, Diana Coatsworth. If you haven't seen her designs, go and check her designs out. Diana Coatsworth designs at com. Um, she's fabulous. This is what I know about her. She's an actress. She's a designer. She's an artist. And then I said, I've got this idea for Tiff. And I know she's so busy right now. Like she's got design shows every weekend for the last like six months. And she still said yes to this. She still was like, I'm going to make this happen because I like the idea. And uh, boy, that's great. I'll tell you, there's nothing better than somebody saying yeah to your idea or yes, I'm going to support you. Oh gosh, that's just so amazing. If ever you can be that person to somebody else, do it. It's just because it's the best gift saying yes to somebody. You know, it's the old improv um, cornerstone saying yes and to something, but it really does make you feel empowered. So uh, I called Diane up and I said, look, I want what I want to do is I love TIFF. I love it so much. I love the connections with people. I love networking. I love seeing movies. I love um, the community that gets together. Uh, I just love it all. I love, you know, it's a really exciting, um, 10 days in Toronto. Uh, what I don't always love is the frou-frou-ness of it all. <laughs> and when I say frou-frou, I'm not talking little rabbit. I'm talking like going for fittings and figuring out what to wear and all the stuff around that. Like I, I know it's necessary because it's part of our business and I get that, you know, it, it's important. It's important to be part of uh, the community that way. I don't always love it. I don't always love it. So this year, what I've done is I've asked Diana to design me a dress that I'm going to wear to every event, just styled differently. Get a load of this. She's calling it. I said, what do you want to call it, Diana? And I said, what about the everything dress? What about the transformer dress? And she was like, I want to call it the Naomi dress. What? She's calling it the Naomi dress. <laughs> Oh, Diana Coatsworth, I thought I couldn't love you anymore. And then you do something like that. And I do. So she's calling it the Naomi dress and I'm going to wear it for all my events. And um, you should follow along to see how we style it differently. Aldo is sponsoring the shoes. W Salon in Toronto is going to do my hair. And that's been my hairdresser forever. I remember coming to Toronto and going, I need a really good hairdresser and popping in uh, to see Walter. And he was like, he just totally did my hair the right way. Knows what I like. We have great philosophical discussions. Yeah, it's the best. So, um, Aldo and W Salon and, uh, follow along. I think it's going to be fun. I've got some vodka spray to keep it fresh. A lot of people are asking about that. Uh, I've got, um, Mm, mm, I've got a shoe bag so I can bike in it. It's got pockets. You're going to go want to see it, please. All right. The other thing we're doing during TIFF is um, TIFF, along with D'Alessio Law Group, again, these women in the world are friggin' awesome. It's when you have this nugget of idea and you go, I have this idea. And somebody like Lorraine D'Alessio comes up and says, I like that idea and I want to support it. And then suddenly you're so empowered. Oh, thanks, Lorraine. And Amanda Smith, who was actually the go-between to make this happen, which is just amazing. It just is so empowering. I can't tell you. The opposite, you know, the opposite is when somebody goes, "Mm, that's not going to work. Oh, I don't know how you're going to make that happen. 
And then you're just like, ah, nothing. That's the sound of my creative soul. Uh, so I called, no, Amanda called me and said, we want to support this. And this is what the idea is. Um, we are going to, we have designed and created a um, a hundred pairs of flip-flop sandals to the uh, people that are going to the women in film event during TIFF. Because this is how this has worked. For the last like four years, I go to the uh, WIFT event and I love it. I love it because the conversations are always, it's at the end of the festival. So they're always like, I don't know, like a little less, I don't know, like uh, rot with parties and movies they have to see it sort of at the end everybody's a little bit like fatigued but they're able to have great discussions and I always just have great um chats with people and they're always inspiring and I always bump into somebody I haven't seen for a long time but the thing that drives me crazy is how often the conversation starts with oh my feet are killing me from a week on in heels during tiff so I thought what happens if we sponsor everybody to wear sandals and then we can talk about something else talk about projects, talk about films, talk about life. So that's what we've done. And, uh, you know, we, I had this idea three years ago or four years ago, I can't remember. And now it's actually coming to fruition and it's because of Amanda Smith and Lorraine D'Alessio who have said yes to this idea and we're making it happen. So go, go to my Instagram and check out the pictures as they come in. Cause, um, it's going to be fun, fun, fun. Now, speaking of fun, 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 my guest in this episode is like fun times a kajillion, Sherry O'Terry. Now, you'll know Sherry O'Terry, of course, from Saturday Night Live, but she's also on uh, Animals, 9JKL, uh, Scream Queens, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Comedy Bang Bang. You know, she does it all. Hot in Cleveland. She was on Cleveland. What was your favorite Sherry O'Terry character? Write me and tell me that much. I met Sherry O'Terry through my friend uh, Cameron Mannheim. We'd gone to the Hollywood Bowl. Every once in a while, Cameron invites me to any event. Any event that Cameron says, hey, do you want to go? I'm like, yes, I'll drop everything and anything in order to hang out with you because you're delightful. But also, they're always such like cool events and I meet neat people like Sherry O'Terry. As soon as I met her, I was like, please. And I always try not to do this because I think it's too cuckoo to meet somebody on the first time and you're already asking them to do your podcast. But I think she's such a dynamo that I was like, please come and do my firecracker department podcast. And she was like, okay, kiddo. <laughs> she was so adorable. And she gave me her phone number and I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. Anyway, we kind of put it aside for a while. We, you know, had some drinks and some game nights and have hung out several times. And, um, uh, I just called her up once. I said, Hey, can we get to that podcast? And she was like, absolutely. So I went over to her house and I, I'm sure you're like me. I think she's just one of the funniest people. I used to watch her on Saturday night live doing, well, not just like, well, doing any of her characters. Cause they were so detailed, like her Barbara Walters character and the cheerleader and all of them, like they're so detailed and ballsy. I just felt like they just kind of jumped off the screen. So I, yeah, I remember just seeing like anything that she did. I was like enamored with and an instant fan. So uh, we we got a chance to sit down and talk to her. And this is the great thing about this podcast is we can talk for as long as we want to. And so we have these like in-depth discussions. And I I'm so honored that uh, A, that Sherry would put time aside for me, but B, that she would trust me with these stories. And um she speaks with such intelligence and such spiritual um, 
clarity that, uh, you know, it's this whole other side to that cheerleader Sherry O'Terry that we know. I love her. I love her. I have the best job in the world, and I'm thrilled that I get to do it. And I'm thrilled that you're listening to it. All right, enough chitter-chatter. Let's get to it. This is Sherry O'Terry on the Firecrack Department. Enjoy. When I first had my pilot, when I left SNL with CBS, it was so funny. I just thought, why would they pay all that money and not pick it up, yeah. not get their money's worth? But, you know, it's not out of anyone's pocket, so to speak. Right. It's a company. So I was just floored. I guess I was naive. I was shocked. That it didn't but, get picked up. Yeah, and I was beside myself. Yeah. It's almost like someone needs to get you ready. Um, for that, for that disappointment? disappointment. I don't know. I think it, don't you think every once in a while, like something comes along, and you're like, oh no, I really want this one. Like I'll never be ready all the time. <laughs> sure. And I think Yvette Nicole Brown, she was like the star of it. And I just thought, you know, I, I was thinking how she must've felt, yeah. you know, and that disappointment and you have this shot and, oh God, I just remember being so devastated, yeah, you know, but when mine didn't get picked up. Um, but how do you deal with disappointment? Like that's, that's a muscle in our business. So how do you cope with that? Well, gosh. <laughs> I mean, that's not an easy Yeah, question, because you're, lo- you're looking for a reason. Yeah. And to give you some peace. Yes. And. It'd be great to be like, it didn't get picked up because, because they couldn't afford it. Or it didn't get picked up because... They wanted to. But then, you know, even when you hear that, I remember afterwards, I wasn't getting along with my manager and I fired him. And and the thing was, I didn't blame him. He didn't hurt anything. He wasn't able to help anything or hurt anything. I felt like, you know what? He's learning as I'm learning. Right. And I thought, I would like somebody who knows a little more at this point. But... The thing is, is I'm still friends with him to this day. Yeah. And I love him. Yeah. And, you know, we had a great friendship. And even after that, you know, but um, I didn't blame him at all. I just felt frustrated with, I just didn't think he could help me one way or another. Well, also, you're coming off SNL. And I didn't know what to do with myself. After SNL? Yeah, because I thought to myself, oh my gosh. Now it's, people are going to, you know, I'm going to get cast in something. And I hardly got cast in anything. So you have that one big shot because you're hot. You're a piece of, you know, property. You are, you're, you know, merchandise. Like right away. Yeah. And when you're hot and, you know, you're offered so much. And then because that thing didn't get picked up, you're almost cold. Right, 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 right. You know, and, and I couldn't believe the lull. That happened, you know, after that. Plus, you'd been working. You'd been at SNL for five, five years. years. So yeah. you were in this, like, mode of right. your muscles. And you're like, wait exactly. a second. Exactly. To be, like, stalked like that. Right. And then I did another pilot. And that didn't go. A Steve Levitan pilot. And, um... And you'd moved by now to Los Angeles? Yeah. Was that always part of the plan, like, to finish SNL and then come here? Oh, yeah, like, I never wanted to live in New York. No. I mean, I lived in L.A. before I yeah. moved to New York. And I always kept an apartment here. But I, as soon as I left SNL, I 
I told my sister and my brother-in-law, please take all the furniture. Come up and take, you know, they came up from Philly, took yeah. all the furniture. And I think I went out there, came back out here with like, oh my gosh, minimal stuff. Yeah. And um, I was so excited. Yeah, to, to get be, started. Yeah, yeah. On a new, on a new chapter, and and I just think about that, and I tell people it really doesn't have anything to do so much with your talent; it's timing. Yeah. And you know, when you're hot, everybody, and you just think, "Wow, the business isn't very mean to me." Right. Oh. That gate. She just. Hello, Adele. Hello, little lady. Hello. Oh, this is Adele Castro. Hi, little one. Hi, come and say hi. Come and hang out with me. Hi. <laughs> hi. I mean, gosh, this industry never boasted to be easy. But because you started SNL, like, out of nowhere. Like, not out of nowhere, but that was a pretty big break. Honey, it was like, I did one Circle K Burger commercial before I did Holy SNL. Holy crap. And SNL Because you've been doing groundlings. So you were groundlings in the business. For, yes. But... I, you know, I moved out here to work at, I worked in the music business, A&M Records, and yeah. so. Which was your dad's business? No, or, A&M dad, Records is. No, but your dad, wasn't your dad? He, was, uh, he worked in publishing in Nashville. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and uh, music publishing. Right. And uh, I just wanted to be in the music business so yeah. bad, so I moved out here to get in the music business, and, you know. I remember a woman saying um, that I should do the groundlings. Right. You know, and I was just, I thought, what's the groundlings? And she goes, it's an improv troupe. And I said, what's improv? Oh, man. I didn't even, I had no idea. Oh, my God. And when I went and I saw the show and I auditioned to take classes, my whole life. Yeah. Did like, you know when you changed. saw the show that you were like, oh, that's what I need to do? No, I just thought, that's amazing yeah it's mind-blowing i just shows. was like and to me being being a groundling to me was the equivalent to snl yeah. like in other words i had no background in acting or anything and for me to take classes for two years and then get in the sunday company all i wanted to do was be a groundling work in a m records and meet like the perfect guy. Right, right. Um, All you needed. One out of three ain't bad. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 But then I left A&M. Right. Because I had an agent, a uh, commercial agent that said, you know, you have to start taking this seriously. This isn't a fluke. Right. And, you know, but. I love when those people in our careers come along like the. And they really change. Yeah. Trajectory. Like somebody that goes, hey, take this seriously. You've got something. Like, like I'll never forget the name of the woman. Susan Lindner was the one who said, you should do the groundlings. Because people always said, oh, you should do stand-up. You're funny. You should do stand-up. And I could have never imagined me doing that. And then when I, for the first time I heard someone say something different, I was like, wait, what's, what is that? Mm -hmm. And when I, I'm telling you, my whole world opened up. I, it's, uh, I used to think I, I'm so, it's so hard for me to absorb information. And then I realized it's because I was never really interested in anything. Right, yes. And then I was like, wow, all this time I just thought I was just not very bright. Right. And it was really because, you know, there was nothing that 
and I absorbed like a sponge everything. With everything groundlings. everybody did. Yeah. I every Friday I would go to the late show, which was all improv. Yeah. And because it was free for students and every single Friday night and I just Soaking not only did up. I enjoy it, but I soaked it up. Because I was way better at sketch and characters and writing than I was at improv. Right. I, I you know, because Improv is really about trusting yourself, and I'm not going to do that. Well, your characters are so fantastic, too, so you build a lot of your sketches around these killer characters. Um, yeah, I guess that was, you know, there's some people that are amazing improvisers, right? and I'm always, like, in awe of that, that you can have that information right at the forefront of, you know, I get nervous, so that information is way back right gotcha you know uh what did you want to do in music did you want to sing did you yeah but i just didn't you know i didn't have a great voice so i thought i'll get behind i'll uh i'll get i'll just be a part of it yeah and uh i loved it working at a&m records was to me a&m was the camelot of the music business and but then that must have been hard to leave then thinking like it, it would have been but I just loved it. Yeah. I. Who was on stage? Like, who were your the folks that you were watching? Because you were sort of part of the Groundlings launch to me. Like the group of people right. like you, like you and well, Will Ferrell. Well, I was like that. when I was taking classes. Lisa Kudrow was, was on in stage. there. Mm-hmm. Um, Kathy Griffin, uh, Mindy Sterling, Mike Hitchcock, Tim Bagley. Um, uh, uh, and I remember as I was a student, my friend worked in the box office, Mike Sweeney, and his sister got SNL. Right. Julia Sweeney. And he's, and I couldn't believe, like, he said, do you want to go over to my sister's house? She just got SNL. And I just went over to the small apartment that she had. And um, I just was so quiet because I, I couldn't believe that I was in the presence of somebody that God, SNL, right. what that must feel like. Just that kind of monumental. Yeah. And what amazing women were on stage for you to watch? Um, like the Lisa Kudrow, like folks oh, that are just... Oh, yeah. It was... Who else? Oh, Allie Wentworth right. was in the Sunday Company. I don't know that she... Was it Brownling? I'm not sure. But she was really good. Because um, I remember seeing like... Oh my gosh, I remember watching you when I first saw your stuff on SNL and thinking like, like that you were a game changer. Like for me to see comedy done the way you did, I was, it was just floored me because you were so ballsy. You're so physical and ballsy. And it was the first time that, um, I saw things like that being done on SNL to an extent by a woman. Like usually, yeah. Like the guys would get to do like the, like, like the whole cheerleading sketches that you and Will Ferrell did. A, they were so meticulous, and you guys must have worked forever just to rehearse. Yeah, we didn't think about when we when we wrote it. We were just kind of like, you know, these people lived to cheer, and they didn't make the squad, which was you know, and which was so kind of pathetic, and yet like adorable, yeah, and and yet. Yeah, they didn't mess up. No, they were so committed. Like, you guys had those characters and those routines down to a T. Like, there was no hesitation. It's as if you'd been rehearsing that 
sketch for months to prepare. And it wasn't. It was mm-hmm. like a week. It was, yeah. It was No, it was like two days. Oh. You know, because you write it and then you block and, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, the moves and everything. And, you know, we would practice on the side, but Will picked everything up so oh quickly. Gosh. And, and, um, and it, yeah, it was. And Will. were those characters from Groundlings? No, no way. Because you and Will worked a lot together, Groundlings. Uh, I we, I cast him, in, two things. Yeah. That I wrote, and we ended up, Lauren Michael saw those two things and wanted them, in on SNL. One was, I wrote this thing where it was a kid in the cockpit and, and his name, was Captain Chase. And Will played Captain Chase. And the funniest thing was, here, he wanted me to do it on SNL, but put Chevy Chase in the part of Captain... Can you believe I called it Captain Chase? Oh, wow, yeah. At the Groundlings? Yeah. It's like you had a premonition that that was I mean, that's the weirdest thing. And I remember saying to Chevy, I go, do you know that I have to change the name of the captain? Because... The name, the, you know, when I did it, the Groundlings, it was Captain Chase, and he didn't care. <laughs> um, so you're at Groundlings, you're just kicking along going, I don't um, need to do anything else. Oh, and then the other sketch that I oh, yeah, yeah. cast Will in was this prom sketch. Oh and, my God, and, with the feathered hair? Yeah, and, and Lauren said he wanted it on the first show, and Marielle Hemingway was in the first show, and he goes, you have to write Mary Ellen into it, and I was just like... I'd never done that, like rewrite something and then write someone else in it, that, yeah. you know. And so uh, it didn't work with yeah. her in it. So he goes, just bring it back next week and just you two do it. Yeah. And Well, you guys had such great chemistry. Yeah. Like there's really nothing like that. Yeah. I think our sense of humor was, you know, there's, there's a similarity to our sense of humor, yeah. I think, of... Hmm. Yeah, sort of like absurd, um, but also like so physical. Like everything you did had such physical connections. It wasn't like a talking head character. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it feels like sometimes characters come out and they're really smart characters, but it's really just in their cadence or in the repeated lines. But you're like full body characters. <laughs> like this thing that you did with the arm, with the feathered hair girl. Oh. What's her name? Adriana? No, that God, honey, I don't even remember. Ariana. Oh, you mean oh, uh, that was cheerleader. A cheerleader? No, no, that was the cheerleader. Oh. But the feather hair girl was this. Yeah, and I, I remember was, like uh, Debbie. Debbie. Oh, so funny. Um, and I remember in school too. doing that. Yeah. When girls did that, held their yeah. one arm, just like so and, protective yeah. of themselves. Right. So so, and it's so awkward, like, and never looking at your the guy that you're talking to either. Oh, it was so funny. You just made such specific choices. Like, it was really, uh, like, I remember watching you going, like, just every detail that you did, like that. And, like, <laughs> your little Terry twerks and stuff like that. <laughs> Terry twerks. Terry twerks. <laughs> um, so then you were, at, so you were at Groundlings, and you were just trucking along, and you weren't even thinking about SNL. Um, no, but I heard that they were coming to see Chris Kattan. Right. And I remember... You know, no one could get SNL to come for years. Mm. Not since Julia Sweeney. Why was that, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. 
You would think they would be like they, all they missed over. out on a lot of great people that they that could have had on the show yeah. that were you know SNL. Uh, I mean that were Groundlings. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, and so they came to see him at a late night show, and he <laughs> had a showcase, and so it was all his sketches. Right. So the best of kind of Chris Kattan, because if you knew someone big was coming to see you, you could do a late night show all around your stuff and showcase yourself. Wow. And so I had one monologue. And that, you know, you just kind of cover for him when he's changing. Change yeah. And so I remember I left A&M and was temping at Disney. Wow. And my manager called me and said, uh, what are you doing next Monday? And I was like, very funny. You know. <laughs> right. I'll be temping at Disney. <laughs> Legal. <laughs> Department. And he goes, Not even like. Oh. Yeah, insult to injury. Right. Uh, and, uh, he said, no, you're going to be flying to New York to audition for SNL. And you're not supposed to scream in Disney legal. Right. I can't imagine. But I was, would run over there. <laughs> it was, and you know what's so funny? When I finally did get SNL and I remember we had a meeting and it was at Disney legal. And I was out, and my manager was meeting with whoever the executive was at Disney, and I was talking to all the assistants. No, and the, the folks that you were working with, yeah, like, before. and the, yeah, That's and then the guy goes, "How is Sherry talking to the assistants? How does she know?" He goes, uh, "She tempted here like a year ago." Right. And the greatest thing was, I think for everybody who you know was out here. Most people want to do something creative. Yeah. You know, and it, you know, and they're assisting or they're, you know, waiting tables, you know, all this stuff. And because it made, I remember when Lisa Kudrow, she got, um, I heard she got, she was on Frasier. Okay. And she was fired from Frasier. Right. And then got friends. Right. And I just remember, I saw somebody that made it. Right. You know, and it it always made me feel hopeful. And I thought to myself, they were so happy. The, you know, the assistants that I had, you know, worked with. Yeah. Um, they were so happy because it was, it was promising for them. Right. You know? Right. And... It was so beautiful to 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 see. It's so in, it's interesting. Like when we think about what the idea of making it is. Yeah. Like, don't you think that changes as you get older? Like, what your idea of making it was when you saw Lisa Kudrow was what she ended up doing with just friends. Oh, done, made it. Well, yeah, made it to me was I guess being on, on, on TV. Yeah. And and. Uh, God, I remember. Oh, Jennifer Coolidge. Oh yeah. I worked with her. She's so funny. So and I funny. remember her getting this show called She TV. Yeah. And she was on a big poster. And I just thought to myself, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, you know, that show ended up getting, you know, canceled and everything like that. But you just... You never know, right? Yeah. You just have to... And you never know. Yeah. You, you never know. And I think everybody would just like a, a, a job... Um, doing what they love, but I just remembered, I think what helped me was I was so committed 
to the groundlings. Right. And I was so excited to be there. Like a lot of the people, when I did get in the main company, they would talk about pilot season. They would right. talk about who got what. And they were, and you know, there was a lot of jaded talk. Yeah. A lot of jaded yeah. talk. And I used to think, man, um, like, I don't even care about that yeah. stuff. I'm just like, I can't believe I'm here. Right. So you were enjoying like just a moment of that as opposed to sights ahead. I I did not look past. Is that like your character normally? Do you are you like a live in the now kind of person? Well, when the now is something bigger than you've ever dreamt of, (laughs) right? And being in in the theater, right? In in the groundlings and being on stage and writing and and performing, I did not come out here planning that or, or anything, and so. Yeah, I was beside myself with excitement, yeah, appreciation, and fear of losing it. Right. That's like a consistent thing, because then you go switch into SNL, and there's always the fear of losing that, too. Yeah, yeah. It, that's why I say, like, there's always fears, no matter where you are. It's just new fears. And it's like, people who have great success, then the fear is losing that great success. Yeah. Um, but unless you allow for the ebb and flow of life, you know, and you don't, and the trick is in this business is not to define your value by whether you're on television or not. Yeah. You know, because even if you are on television, that that's not going to guarantee happiness. I mean, it's so hard because as you said, you get to do what you love doing, right? So that's all we want to do is be able to make people laugh. I was talking to this one actress, she's on a drama. And she's friends of a friend of mine. And very, very talented actress. Uh-huh. And I remember saying, you know, how's the show going? And she said how poorly she was treated. How, like, I could not believe yeah. um, how miserable she was. And... I I just thought to myself, she had also gone through a divorce, and and I just thought to myself, you just never know. No. Um, and that's why I feel like, I know that happiness is, does not come from, and it's such a, you know, a Super Soul Sunday thing to say, but man... <laughs> There's something about Super Soul Sunday, and I love it. It's kind of like... I'm a fan. Yeah, me too. I find it inspiring. The happiness, if you look to the external for happiness, it's always going to be fleeting. Happiness is... And it's like, well, how do I find it within myself? It's almost not so much happiness, but a peace. And the funniest thing is, I feel myself having peace. Now, yes. What was that journey? The struggle like to is find real. Yeah. The struggle is real, and you know, and sometimes I think, um, was was that my success, and that's it, you know, and if that is it, uh, am I am I okay with that, mm-hmm. and. I realized 
I'm never going to say that that was it because I'm always hopeful. You know, like that something in the right time is something yeah. amazing. Is And I'm over here working behind the scenes to make stuff happen for myself. Yeah, you're too, writing, you're you know? creating. Yeah. And, um, and I'm working. It's just not things, you know, people are like, I miss seeing you on TV. And it's like, you know... I am working. You're just not seeing it in the way that you saw it before. Yeah, every week. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> apparently, you don't watch Saturday afternoon cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're all over that. <laughs> Woo! No, I'm kidding. But, um, <laughs> but that struggle, like, so that world of like finding that inner happiness, tell me, tell me about that, because I find that really challenging. Well... You know, they say about meditation. I can't say that that's the answer for me. Do I you meditate? I, no. <laughs> um, I try to a yeah. little bit in the morning. And yeah. what my meditation is, trying not to think of anything. Oh, and it's such a struggle. Oh, but if I can do it for five minutes. Yes. And then I've always been a very spiritual person. I pray. And which is med- meditation. It is. Yeah. Because even if no one hears you, what you say to yourself in the morning, what you say out loud in the morning carries into the universe. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. like when someone said to me, you know, watch the words you use. Even when talking about yourself and being self-deprecating, yeah. watch the words you use, and because they have energy. Um, and I remember, like, gosh, almost like a year ago, I had such dark thoughts. Yeah, and they were really constant, and not like suicide or, but just oh, negative. They were, I was torturing myself. Yeah. You know? And I thought, nobody is trying to hurt me. I'm hurting myself. Why? Who is this that is inside of my mind that's torturing me? Yeah. And it's the ego. And the ego is the worst part of you. And it's the part of you that'll try and keep you down. You know, mm-hmm. and there wasn't anything, I didn't, wasn't in a relationship that my ego could, could ruin. I wasn't really working full time somewhere that my ego, ego could ruin. Mm-hmm. So it was just torturing me. And you know, in the interim, when you're not working and you're not being productive, you've got that time in your hands. And you know, I went to, remember going to Catholic school and when a nun would say, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. I used to be like, what? And then, you know. And then you realize what, what that it means. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I read books and, yeah. and, and. Uh, to get yourself out of this? Uh, yeah. I, um, like instead of, I always read before I went to bed because I was having trouble sleeping. Right. And reading will knock me out. Yeah. It's great. And. It's like, do I want to listen to my thoughts or do I want to hear somebody else's? Right. And then I would listen to Eckhart Tolle. Yes. I would listen to Don Miguel Ruiz. I would listen to uh, Pema Children. 
and 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 I still do before I go to bed and I go to sleep. No one puts me to sleep like Eckhart Tolle. His voice, yeah. you know. And that's a form of meditation too, right? It, it, because it's yeah. the soothing and it's the reminding of the positivity as opposed to the yeah. voices in our own head are like exactly. rah, 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 negative. Yeah, I wanted to interrupt the voices in my own head right, with someone else's that were telling me something maybe that I hadn't thought of. And who else? Uh, like Kelly Howe and the Universal Mind Meditation. Uh, and I would be put to sleep by something positive. Yeah. Um, Once you got through that time, like now, when you're in a better place, do you still, are you still in that mindset of like turning to your negative? Or are you, do you have the muscles now too? Well, it's just, I noticed that that my thoughts aren't so dark anymore. Mm -hmm. And it had nothing to do with Taking a pill, you know, but I'm all about, because, you know, people suffer from depression, yeah. and I did, and, um, uh, but I guess all the work that I did, slowly. Yeah. Slowly. Um, it's a muscle, right? Like, these are, the muscle that we've trained ourselves to talk negatively to ourselves, yeah. it's hard to exercise that muscle to the other side, then. Yeah, and I don't know how it went to the other side. Did you just wake up one day and go, oh man, I'm in a you know bad what? place? I'll I'm going to tell you something. A few months ago, I was sitting at my desk and I thought to myself, oh my God, my thoughts aren't so dark anymore. And, and I took a breath and I just said, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I don't, it wasn't like something happened overnight. And yeah, I mean, and now when my thoughts get dark, I immediately, immediately interrupt. Right. Excuse me. Yeah. And I, I like say, to say something. And actually. I just say the word love. Yeah. I say, I say the word love. I interrupt my, the thought. Like, we interrupt this torture <laughs> for a special bulletin. Of positivity. Yeah. Uh, love. And it's kind of like, um, yeah, they just, they're not so frequent anymore. But we don't have those tools, right? Like you, so looking at your path, like you go, groundlings, fantastic, easy almost. SNL, easy, right? Like you auditioned for it once and you got in. No, I auditioned uh, twice and then they came and saw a show. But everything that I was doing at the Groundlings was getting me ready. And yeah. I had was auditioning because at that time a few sketch shows right. came out. I auditioned for two. So your muscles got really, were really, yeah, yeah, really close. And I remember the, the one I did not get that I was between me and another girl and the other girl got it. I remember being in my apartment and just like putting my, like sliding down, it was like a movie. I slid down a wall, yes. you know, you know, put my back up against the wall, slid down and just cried yeah. and cried. And then, you know, little did I know that everything was preparing me for my 
SNL audition. Yeah. So by the time the SNL audition came around, I was limber. Yeah. I was ready. And, um, you know, I just had this young guy that I write with and he got so close. It was between him and another guy on this show. Yeah. And I said, do you realize how ready you are for the thing that I said, I can only look at you and remember when I got that close and it's, you're ready. Yeah. Yeah, it's being ready for when the opportunity comes. Right. As and opposed to being like, I'm caught up on Netflix, which doesn't make you really as ready. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, I'm excited. I said to him, I'm excited for you. Yeah. This is your writing partner? Yeah. This guy that I've, I've written a, a, a show with. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, why are you excited? I didn't get it. And I said, oh my gosh, you're, you're being fine-tuned. You are being fine-tuned to where when you do get it, you know, I think sometimes when people get things too early and they lose it, they almost mm -hmm. don't know how to hold on to it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, well, I mean, you that's what I mean. Like, the success of SNL was five years where you didn't really have to worry about what the next thing was. Right, and there was, oh, such a... But here's the funny thing about SNL. You were auditioning every week to get on a show you already got. right. So that's stressful. It the stress. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's when I was introduced to. I remember my sister saying to me, "I didn't. Well, I couldn't sleep at night. Yeah, and my eyes were so puffy every single day. I had to put ice on them because I didn't sleep well. And and for my, five years. Yeah, my oh sister my said, and I would cry at night before I went to bed, but not because I was sad about anything. And that's when my sister, a nurse, said to me, Sherry. Your highs are too high and your lows are too low. You need to, I think you should see a psychopharmacologist. I was like, what's that? Mm -hmm. And she said, they deal with depression. And I was like, is that what, is what I'm going through with depression is? Yeah. And it seems so weird, right? Because you're doing what you love. Right. On you're SNL. doing what you love. And it's kind of like How is that depression possible? and anxiety, she said. And she said, you have to realize too that this runs in our family. Right. And you have to look at it almost in a clinical way. And, you know, you're under pressure that the rest of us, we're under pressure, but you have to deliver every week on a major, yeah. you know, and... Like, you didn't get time off. And believe me, from my background and my foundation, I don't have those tools. Right. I did not have those tools for that kind of pressure, mm -hmm. emotionally. I had them as far as work went, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I was very disciplined in work, but emotionally... I did not have the tools to deal with it. And so I remember I went to a doctor and he prescribed me a, an antidepressant. And the funniest thing was, I, I remembered like a few months went by and I go, oh my God, I don't cry at night anymore. Right. And so that's what the antidepressant did. It stopped the crying. It did not change the pressure, but it somehow biologically helped me to where it shut off the waterworks. Yeah. I felt I took them for a short time and it made me feel like I could just get my feet on the ground. Right. That feeling of like, because you're so overwhelmed. Like you do a show, you work, 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 show Saturday, maybe a tiny rest on Sunday, back yeah. to work Monday. Right. For five years. My eyes were swollen yeah. all the time. And even like on the day of the show, um, 
it was like ice packs, ice packs on my eyes. And I, and my sister's like, God, you look so tired. Yeah. And I go, I am, I guess. But, you know. Uh, but then the high is so amazing. And then the high is so ridiculous. Yeah. That when you go home after a show, like, and your adrenaline on Sunday morning, I just remember, I felt like I had done gymnastics yeah. or I hadn't worked out in well, months you... and then I worked out and I was sore from head to toe Yeah, because of every part of your, my body was on red alert, uh, you know, the adrenaline. And so I was so grateful for my sister mm-hmm. to tell me that because... I would have never thought about that and right because you just like move forward move forward right next and there's thing. Some, I'm not praying enough I'm not exercising enough I'm not doing this enough I'm yeah. not you know and it's who were your support system people in within the cast who were the folks that were your go-to's because mm. you had a killer cast too that well I remember like... sometimes I would be disappointed or something Something would happen, I would get emotional, and I would knock on Colin Quinn's door. And it would be so funny because I would go, knock, knock, and he's like, come in. And I go, he goes, hey, Sharon. I go, hi, Colin. He's like, hey, how's it going? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm like, it's your fault for asking. Right. You know, yeah. and <laughs> I am telling you, he would just hug me. And... And it was all... Everybody understood. They were all dealing with different variations of But that. yeah, and it's kind of like, you know, I still dream to this day sometimes that I go in late and everybody's door is shut and everybody's laughing behind their doors, their office doors, because they're writing. And everybody's... And I'm in my office then by myself with a late start and I can't think of anything. Oh, God. That's... Horrible. That's uh-huh. when you have cheese before you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Never do that. I mean, I was just like, wow. Yeah. Like, you don't realize. It's like there's a PTSD that comes along with being on that show. And the emotions and the pressure that you carry with you. Yeah. And to this day, you know, it's it's so emotional. You think of the great things. Right. And then you think of the sad things. And then you think of what you would have changed if you could. What would you have changed? I think when I quit, I would have liked to have said goodbye. Oh, you never said goodbye? No, because it was during the summer. Uh. And I remember realizing that my contract was for five years. And so I completed my contract. In a way, someone someone told me a different way of looking at it. He goes, I said, I, I can't imagine quitting. And he's like, you're not quitting. You, How long was your contract for? And I said, five years. And he goes, so the question is, do you want to renew your contract? Right. And I was just like, I never looked at it like that before. You know, because I thought, am I running <clears throat> away? Because I can't handle it. And I can't handle the emotional stress anymore. And I never, and I know that you're never supposed to run away from right. anything, you know, like, and at least have, you know, make a closure and leave in a, 
And the thing was because and the I celebration did, of what you did exactly, too. but because it was during the summer, and I decided not to renew my contract, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. Oh, and that was important um, for the people, for myself, yeah. and for the people that I worked closely with, because to them, it might have seemed like I ran away, and in essence. I did because I didn't properly yeah. say goodbye. And I wish that I properly, and I didn't even release it to the press that I was, that I left. No. Because. Because you didn't want to seem like you were running away. And yeah. yeah. And, and, and I was almost scared that I did. Right. I just wanted it to be quiet. And it so was quiet. Was there a discussion with Lauren Michaels that you were like, I'm not going to renew my, or was there any discussion? I called him and. Um, but he had already kind of gotten a heads up. Right. And, uh, yeah. 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 It's tricky though. I can imagine also that that was such a huge part of your whole world that you're saying goodbye to, you did like, um, the French goodbye at a party where you don't say goodbye to anybody and just kind of leave. Yeah. But it was the thing of, you know, because it was the summer and it wasn't, I didn't plan on it. Yeah. Until someone said to me, you know, you fulfilled your contract. Right. Do you want to renew it? And just it gave me a different way of yeah. looking at it rather than quitting. You know, and yeah, it was There's a part of me that didn't want to leave because I loved what I was able to do, but yeah. it, it got too hard to do it. Yeah. You know, because when I first went in there, it was kind of like, it was a beautiful, it was, it was like a utopia comedy place because everybody was new. Right. Oh yeah. Cause you had just come from like the, like they had cleaned they had house. Cleaned house. Right. And so, so it was just like. Raring to go. Everybody was like, everybody starting first grade at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there was an enthusiasm, an excitement, yeah. a, you know, nobody was jaded. Everybody was like, it was so exciting. There's this great interview. I'm sure you've seen it online where it's, I think it's six of you and you had just started. It was like eight weeks into your contract or something that I was like, Will Ferrell, Molly Shannon, you, Tim Meadows. And you're all, and they were just like, what's it like? And you can see that you guys are all like, we don't know what's going on. Like, it was so exciting for you to just jump in. But they were all such fresh faces, too. Yeah, it really was the best way to be on SNL. Yeah. Because, you know, I can imagine how hard it must be being new. And everybody's, you know, been there. And they're a little jaded. And, you know, and you're trying to find your way with this... In this in this realm of everybody is already comfortable in. Yeah. You know, um, and getting your stuff on. Yeah. And where do you fit? You know, it, it must be very, very, very hard. And I feel that we were all lucky to came, come in the way we did. Yeah. You know, we were all so excited and so, like, beside ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Who were the people in your cast that made you um, cry, to, like laugh till you cry? There's some people in like Second mm. City World for me that they could always make me laugh. Well, t 
to me, let me see. Well, I guess Will, like whatever he does always made me laugh. But um, let me see. I, I would, I look at it more the groundlings. Right. Like, because I remember the work is so hard at SNL. Right. You're, you're really, you're, you almost have blinders on. Yeah. It's almost like you can't have fun. You got to focus on being funny. And, and the funniest thing is like, people are like, oh, you met all those famous people, the hosts. And the funniest oh, thing yeah. was, I never like got starstruck. No. With any of the hosts because you're working so hard. Yeah. You don't have time to no be host? starstruck. Were there none that you were like, okay, I got to put my work on hold for a second because so and so No. Uh-uh. Like, yeah. there were people that I, I, it was like I was excited to meet. Yeah. But but I went right to work. Yeah. And, you know, you and, and they're struggling. Ethics. Yeah. You yeah. know, too, the yeah. hosts, they're scared shitless. Sure. And um, I really, my mind was just so focused on, uh, you have such a you have a short amount of time yeah. to write and get your stuff on and perfect it and all that stuff like that. So, uh, I never really was you know sidelined by yeah. the, starstruck by the. So what what are the characters from that time? That oh, you, I remember. Oh. Okay, groundlings. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, tell me that story. I would. I always would, unless you know whatever when I was done doing my thing. There were people I would always run up the back and watch their sketch every week and laugh every single Same week. Same sketch. Same yeah, sketch. I know exactly Every that single feeling. week. Yeah. And it was, I remember Mike McDonald uh, made me really laugh with his sketches. Tim Bagley um, and uh, Mike Hitchcock. Uh, I remember there was like this swimming pool sketch and Jim Wise cracked me up and I remember Chris Parnell. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't with him. I was, I think he was in the Sunday company and he did this, he did this sketch where he did his j- jump. And I remember thinking, this guy is funny. Yeah. I'm glued to him. Yeah. I'm glued to him. And I told my manager at the time, I go, you got to, you should take this guy. Yeah. He's funny. Like I thought Chris Parnell was very, very funny. You know, it's so funny because this whole, like, what we're talking about and finding, you know, some sense of peace. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking months ago, months and months ago, I was in my backyard and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm really okay. Like, if I realize I've got great friends um, and I love my home I get to work and you know it's not anything that's really steady but the universe has provided for Mm -hmm. me you know and then I felt grateful and I was just like oh my gosh and it made me realize I wasn't worried about romance anymore. Hmm. You know, like I wasn't worried about meeting. Because that, like, that always stayed with me. The fear of never meeting the right guy. Because then I thought, how much is it me really caring? And how much is it the stigma of not having that? But where do you think that came from originally? 
Well, it's, I think it's just a part of to being a woman and thinking, you know, it almost legitimizes you to be married in a way. Right. And, uh, and I always thought marriage was such a, it was such a big thing to me and I was very old fashioned in, 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 in the marriage sense. And I just thought marriage is like a joke. People go in they're married, and then it's like, ah, I'm out. I'm out. Well, I can't believe how disposable marriage is. And and so it's like, wow, almost anybody, you can get married. But, like, what what do you want out of it? Right. And I used to think, wow, I, that that is something that I, I never had. Were your parents married a long time? No. No, so I really didn't yeah. have any yeah. kind of a, a couple that was positive in my life to understand how it can work right. uh, in a positive way. You know, my grandparents were together t- till the end, but, you know, they're old school. Right. And, you know, they, they just didn't talk. Right. So <laughs> That's why of, they got along. It's right. They well, it was they, truly back then with them, marriage was a partnership. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about... You know, keeping the spark, right. you know, and, and everything. You know, I, I believe, like, people, they, they're into romance, not yeah. necessarily a partnership of love. Right. You know, where love is concerned. And I almost felt like I've learned about it from studying it so much. Yeah. You know, I'm very observe couples. I observe, you know, the, all the different types of love and... And I thought, all right, well, that, I missed that boat. And, um, what do you mean you missed the boat? That, the, you know, being in a long-term relationship and possibly, you know, getting married and, and having kids. So you kids. think married, marriage is not for you anymore? Well, I don't care. Oh. And that's where a sense of peace came in one day. I remember thinking to myself, wow, I truly don't care about it. Right. Um, That's kind of a relief. It wasn't. It it had nothing to do with being jaded. It had nothing to do with, um, you know, uh, anything negative. Yeah. It was, I saw it as, oh my God, how wonderful. I have, I truly don't care. Yeah. Um, it's being what you said before, like being satisfied with where you're at. Like as you said, like I remember coming to a point where I was like, you know what? I've got, I've got great friends. I've got money and I've got enough money to be happy and I've got a really good dog. I think I'm okay. Right. Yeah. And it's, and listen, it's part of our DNA to want, you know, and it's like, all right, this is what I have, but what don't I have? Right. And you want what you don't have because it excites you. And it, you know, in the, in the hopes of getting it. Right. And then you put, you do that to yourself and then it's like, all you can, then you focus on, I'll be happy when I get that. Yeah. I'll be happy when I get that. And then it makes all the beauty that you have, you know, it it, it makes it insignificant and it's, you're hurting yourself. And then it's so funny because I realized I am so okay with this. And 
And, uh, you know, all my life I would say, oh, you you find the love when you're not looking. And I would right. say, fuck you. Yeah. You know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, you know, everybody's got a saying on the tip of their tongue, yeah. ready for it to make you One feel better about what. Uh, right. Uh, uh. And so it's really funny because I did meet somebody. No. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And. And. Did that have anything to do with that whole piece? I have no idea how long ago uh about six months wow and uh and i couldn't believe how easy it was right and i'm not saying this is gonna last forever i'm not saying we're gonna get married i'm not saying i'm not saying anything it's almost like there's such an appreciation like because i looked at it like you know, like the groundlings. I can't believe I was a groundling. I looked at it like SNL. I can't believe I'm us and as right. SNL. At this point, I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm in a relationship that feels peaceful. Yeah. Like, and then of course, you know, the, the screwed up part of you, the ego says, all right, this is what he isn't. Right. Or this is what, and God, I'm just so aware of when my ego steps in, you know, because. That's like a lifetime of training, that kind it of awareness. Is. It really is, because first of all, nothing's ever perfect, but I cannot believe how much I look forward to seeing him, how, um, how much. He likes me. And I know that sounds childish. No, it's not. It's... But it's kind of like, he just really, it's what you would always want. You yeah. want somebody that thinks that you are, like, amazing. And, you know, and it's like, you're, the, the thing is, the Super Soul Sunday is to think you're amazing yourself. Right. You know, of course. Yeah. You know, and then... Um, but sometimes, sometimes you need a break from being your own cheerleader. It, it, you know? I, I'm going to tell you something. It That was my lesson. It's funny that that, that was like, I did the cheerleader because it's yeah. got to like, I've learned I've got to be my own cheerleader, which yeah. has, I've not done well. And yet, there's a sense of peace that just comes into your life at a time where everything... It feels like even if it's not, there's my, oh my wall God. phone again. Isn't that Hello, adorable? Seventy. <laughs> Hi, Nana. Uh, Naomi just farted. No, That's I why did, we're laughing. You did it. Oh, Naomi wants to say hi, Nana. No, I don't. Oh, hi, Nana. <laughs> Sorry, what are you making for dinner again? Yeah, Sherry right. just farted. Nana, what hurts? Please, I've got so much time. Oh, Tell me everything. <laughs> That hurts. I've got tell nothing me. but tell time. Me. But now that you're finished telling me about what hurts for you, what about your friends? How are your <laughs> friends doing? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really funny because I was talking to him one day and and I was upset about something. And he's like, what's the matter? And I told him. And then, you know, and I really don't go to people that much to tell them no. my problems or anything. Yeah. You know. Um, You're not alone. A lot of people be like, I right. got this. Right. And you just feel like, I'll work it out. I'll get over yeah. it. You know, I don't have a therapist or anything like that. And 
Um, and it was really funny talking to him. And then he said something. Um, he goes, you're going to be okay. And I hadn't heard that in so long from somebody. Yeah. And even though it's one of those things like, you know, you don't know for sure someone's going to be okay. But just hearing those words from somebody else who will leave and then come back mm-hmm. was like, how does this feel, Sherry? Like, it's almost like trying something on that I haven't worn in so long. And it felt like this warm, beautiful sweater. And he, you know, just... And I remember saying to him, you promise? And it was really (laughs) just a thing of, you know... It's going to be okay. Yeah. It's what your parent would say. It's what you good say parents to your dog. Like, yeah, good, it's like you're doing good. You say to your kid, yeah. you know, you're going to be okay. And I was just like, wow, someone just told me I'm going to be okay. Who's leaving and then coming back. Yeah. It was, you know. Isn't that wild? Makes you want to say that to people all the time. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's going to be, be okay. okay. You're going to be, okay. be fine. You're like, going to be all right no matter what you can handle things yeah Yeah. and you know are you are you know are you completely together no because when pressure hits you know and now I watch myself human right I watch myself when something comes up you know when pressure hits and and you know uh I'm upset about something how do I handle it now as opposed to how I would have handled it say, 15 years ago. And how is that different? I'm incredibly aware of the uneasiness that I feel. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like I'm now two people. I'm looking at it. And it's like I'm splitting myself. Right. It's kind of like, oh, God, you know this feeling. Yeah. This it's is, a familiar feeling. Yeah, and this is where you fuck up. This is where you get, you react instead of, and you panic. Yeah. And you react and you do things that are not going to help you right. in the long run. Right. And so I become so aware of it that it's almost like I wrangle myself and it's like do not act do not act your emotions are high just take Adele for a walk or wait till tomorrow and because the old Sherry would have been like react Mm mm-hmm right and I'm gonna nip this in the bud in you know or I'm gonna take a personal or, and you, you know, and it's funny because you think of, I read the four agreements years ago, mm-hmm. but I never really comprehended it yeah. until I read it again. Because you read a book at one point in your life yeah. and it has a completely different meaning than sometimes when you read it in a different part totally. of your life. And I, um, and I remember, you know, the four agreements don't take anything personal and as simple as they seem. Okay. So don't take anything personal. Don't assume. 
Don't assume. <laughs> Always do your best. Yes. And um, be a, no a person before. of your word. Oh, I was going to say no cheese before sleeping. But I think yours is <laughs> That's better. That's the fifth agreement. <laughs> um, and it's so funny. The person that... of your word is really good. Mm-hmm. And I think of where, where am I weak out of those four oh. agreements? Weakest. Yeah. And mine is assume. I assume things. and About other people or about yourself? Uh, in every situation. Yeah. It's almost like you need to figure something out. Right. As opposed to going to the facts. Yeah, or right. waiting to see what it is. Right. To see if you're right. Right. Yeah. You know, and you're not going to lose anything by waiting. Is that protecting yourself? Or you? Yes. Yeah. It's it's almost like, you know, you're like I would say my childhood. There was a lot of bullets to dodge. Yeah. You know, and. Do you have a tumultuous like? Yeah, and then have... as an adult. It's a mistrust. Right. And you're then dodging bullets that aren't there. Right. You know, because... Because the slightest thing could be a trigger from your childhood. Exactly. Yeah. And you go in self-protective mode and you... And whatever that means. And... I mean, uh, that must have... You must have dealt with that a lot during your days at SNL because everybody's... In that mode, right? Everybody's on... Yeah, to a different degree. Yeah. You know, I remember... And you never assume that everybody... You know, oh, God, this person has such confidence. Right. You know, nothing rattles them. And they just seem so well-adjusted. You know, there are people that are very well-adjusted and and great under pressure. Sure. I kind of had to learn how to be... Um, uh, because, you know, when you grow up around such, you know, where it's chaotic, where you're supposed to feel safe, but where you are is so chaotic yeah. that, you know, where you're supposed to feel safe, you don't, then the world doesn't feel safe. I spent a lot of my childhood being alone because it felt safe to be alone. Right. And what I realized is, wow, you wonder why you're, you're not in relationship as yeah. an adult, you know, through the years when everybody was getting married because that didn't feel safe to you. No. You know, it felt safer, even though I wanted it, wanted it, wanted it. But it was almost like you want the idea of it. Yeah. You know, but you're not equipped to be in a relationship. And I think the smart, evolved part of myself always knew it. Yeah. And then, you know, to be alone felt safe. Yeah. To be alone felt comfortable. And... It's, you know, there's some people of the complete opposite. They can't be alone. It doesn't feel safe. Right. They've got, even if it's not somebody that they want to be with. Yeah. Necessarily. Or somebody that's good for them. It's safer than being without somebody. Yeah. You know, I see that and it's just as much of a, um, of a wound as me being so comfortable by myself right you know so it's kind of like I am learning through this relationship how to be with somebody yeah and i watch myself but yet enjoy it yeah you know and I think to myself I can actually enjoy this relationship where I 
mom really couldn't in the past because I was always wondering when the shoe was going to drop. Right. You know, I, I just thought it's, you know, it's almost like waiting for it to end. A recovery process to go through after SNL and then like the pilot that didn't go. Then you're like, well, what, what do I believe in now? Yeah, but it, it really is. It's like every part of your life, the, your personal life, your friendships, okay, family, work, and like your romance or your partner, mm -hmm. whatever. Each one of them, you need to, you know, it's like looking, finding the balance. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is happening in this time in my life right now because um, I don't know whether it's him or it's me. Like, am I truly ready and at peace or is it because this guy just made it so easy? Yeah, which came first. Like, maybe it's both. Yeah. You know, because I always knew that wherever you're at in your life is what you're going to attract. Half a person attracts half a person. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. They're, ju they're just different halves. Yeah. And it's kind of like, with him, I'm thinking, I must be doing all right. Right. Like, this person is so emotionally available, so smart. He's an amazing father. He's got, you know two sons and uh, he's so uh, emotionally whole mm. you know he's mm. not by any means perfect no, and he's human as well he's right? you know but yeah. it's kind of like um, you know because when you when you're with somebody it's almost a mirror and it's always exciting in the beginning yeah you know, because you're, you know, I always say, no one, no guy tells you in the beginning, listen, now down the road, we're having fun now, but I'm going to beat you. That's right. It's going to get rough. Road. It's going to get it's rough. It's going to get rough. But yeah. let's enjoy it now. Right. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. Um, yeah. I look at it like this, you know, my job is to keep creating. And what I realized, it's like the past two, you know, a couple of years, I've pitched shows. And I can honestly say, because I work really hard and whoever I'm writing with, I've not had a bad pitch. And mm -hmm. it's gone so well. And after each pitch, we are so proud of, because it's really, you can only go in there and do your best and yeah. then it's out of your hands. Yeah. And, but I haven't sold mm -hmm. yet. And it's like, okay, so why is that? Mm -hmm. And I think I'm understanding what the missing piece is. But it's not about being upset that it didn't sell. It's like, okay. I almost feel like I'm going to sell something because I've learned so much by pitching. Um, and what is needed. And it isn't about creativity at all. Right. It's more about politics. Yeah, and know? timing, as you said, right? Yeah, and it's almost like... I don't know that anybody really gives a shit about your great idea. It's, you know, this business is like, who's the showrunner? Who's the big star that's attached? What's the shiny object that's going to mm -hmm. make this easy for me to buy? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, uh, 
and I don't even take it personal at all that I am not the shiny object. Right. Because I remember when, you know, I was the shiny object. It, it's not personal. You're not more talented or less talented. It's just, you know, what makes this business hard. Right. Um, and I feel like when I sell something, something's going to come from the outside. Right. Like something's just going to let, you know, it's going to be offered to me. And I say, whether it comes from me or it comes from somewhere else, mm -hmm. um, I just want it to be so fulfilling yeah. that I can't wait to go to work every day. You know? Totally. What's the last thing on your resume that you did that you felt that way? Um, God, it smells like pee in here, doesn't it? I did not do Are you anything serious? wrong. Oh, I, I'm so aware of it because I have a puppy. Yeah. And do you think he might have peed in his crate? Oh, I've cleaned this house so many times. And I just... The I smell, smell of urine <laughs> is like... And I really... I shampooed the rugs, everything. I'm so aware of it. You don't smell it. I don't, but I mean... You're just being sweet. Maybe, I... Everything I do... Oh, that's nice. Like, whatever the last thing I did was... Yeah. Like... Uh, Wait, are we still talking about pee? No, no, yep, pee anymore. good stuff. Um, I just did this uh, small thing on a pilot that didn't go. Yeah. But that was your favorite thing. No. So what's thing, like, like, I was trying to find the good in whatever I do, you know, Sure, really. oh my God. Oh, I did this short. Yeah. Called... Turkey's done. Okay. And that's my ice maker. Okay. A lot um, of like, um, the sound effects guy in your kitchen is doing a great <laughs> job. <laughs> I just have to live with that sound. It works, but it makes that sound. Um, I did this short that, uh, like two summers ago almost, and now we're just finished editing it. Right. And, and, and you I'm produced it? You uh, me and these couple other girls from South Philly. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, and it's about a neighborhood in South Philadelphia and it's Thanksgiving day. Great. And it's, I'm really proud of it. Yeah. You know, um, and I've just, you know, getting the music. Yeah. Right for it. And doing all the behind-the-scenes yeah. things. when it and, doesn't feel like work. And, well, it's hard because, you know, we already spent the budget. Right. And then it's, you know, you pull in favors and, I, and yeah. you know, people, God, you know, some people that are just amazing, like friendships in this business yeah. that people say, hey, listen, uh, you know, let me, let me look at it and, and they just help you oh out. Oh, my God. Um, so lucky. And I just thought to myself, Okay, now what do we do with this? We right. just made this amazing short that we love. And now it's kind of like, all right, film festivals. Yeah. Short film festivals. And now I'm learning about that world. Right. And it's kind of like, all right, we're going to submit this. And I'm excited about it, That's you know? Cool. And it feels good to be excited about something. Yeah. You know, that you did. And, you know, in this business... What it took me way too long to realize is it's just like SNL. I wasn't cast very much in sketches. I would have to write. It would have to come from me, yeah. you know, most of the time. And uh, Groundlings, I wasn't cast much in the Groundlings. And so why did I think that when I left it was going to be any different? You know, um, right. 
I'm just not cast much. And, you know, it's kind of like in this business, then somebody does cast you and then everybody's like, where you been? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, uh, right. so it forces you to create your own stuff. And yeah. why would I have thought it was going to be any different? You know? Um, and you've always been good at that. Like that's where you're, you're Yeah, I guess I was just hoping, yeah. you know, wow, I, 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 I can't wait to see what people cast me in. And it's like, oh, they're not going to cast you. It's, right. it's kind of like you did crazy characters that people don't know what to do with. And it's very specific to it's SNL. It's very specific. You know, it's different now. Um, like the girls and the guys, no matter what they their characters are, casting people can see beyond yeah. them. Yeah, more yeah. than they used to. As opposed to going, can that character be in, in a feature film? Right, or, you know, you're just seen for... But I look at, like, Bridesmaids, and that was Kristen Wiig writing her own vehicle as herself, even though she did amazing characters. Yeah. You know, um, so, I mean, good for her. And, like, Tina Fey wrote herself into being a leading lady. Yeah. Kristen Wiig wrote herself into being a leading lady. Right. Melissa uh, McCarthy. McCarthy, you know, is able to write herself into being a leading lady. Right. And it's like, these women who are writing are teaching Hollywood how to cast. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, in other words... Open their minds. Open their minds yeah. and, and, and see that... Um, I just love to see how everything is progressing yeah. for women um, because they are writing themselves. And I remember like Ben Stiller wrote himself into being a leading man. Yeah. And these wonderful creative people that can write as well as do characters are have written themselves and changed the game. I agree. And yeah. I still very rarely get cast for anything. And it's just, Sherry? They don't know what to do with you, right? And, because And it's kind of like, yeah. you have to write for yourself. And because a lot of times, too, you know, I will get something. And it's always, you know, it's just somebody being crazy. You right. Know? You, do, you do crazy pretty great. Right. And it's kind of like... Uh, I don't mind doing, uh, I love doing a character, but that has a, it's more than just a sight gag. Yeah. Or more than just uh, somebody just crazy. Yeah. Like something like on Curb, I didn't feel like that nanny character was just crazy. Like maybe right. unstable, but like, right. you know what I mean? Like that kind of manic is. Uh... Yeah. But you know, I there was no script for that. No. And it's kind of like, all right, well, she's this woman who you know gets fired for letting and you know she's com completely vulnerable right yeah and See, uh, it's all based on something it's all right. grounded in like anybody in our world in our community that you know that's like oh that person's a bit crazy it mm -hmm. comes from a place of truth and pain or you know vulnerability and all those things right so yeah no i loved doing that show as hard as it was because there was no script yeah and you're you know that's a hard place to go into because here are all these people improvising every single yeah. 
Their muscles know, are limber. And mu- yeah, and then you walk in and you're up against these amazing improvisers and you've got to carry your own weight. Yeah. And you're not sure if you're doing well or not because no one's saying anything. Right. Right. You know? I thought you did great. Did you have fun, like, watching at the end? Were you, are you able to see your work? I wasn't able... I can't say I was able to enjoy it while I was doing it because I was so scared to. Yes. You know, because you... You know, and yeah. I was never... I never loved improvising. Right. right. I can, and yeah. I will if I must, but... I like things written out, at least an outline. Yeah. You know, like some dialogue, because then I can but jump off But not even an outline that. was written No. Oh, there was God. not one piece of paper with any I think that's, thing on there. That's a recipe for throwing up in your mouth constantly. Oh, honey. I was... How did you get through that? Like, it feels like you... Like, people say, did you have fun? And I don't <laughs> want to disappoint them by saying... No, it was No, so I was hard. a nervous wreck. Yeah. But... No, I, I didn't have fun, <clears throat> but I enjoyed how it turned out. Yeah, so can you watch it and be like, oh, I like what I did there? Yeah. I mean, I thought, wow, what a roller coaster that was. Yeah. Like, there was nothing negative about it. No, but it like... It just was, you know, there's no comfort in... Uh, so then when you're lost like what that, you're say. Where, do you, where do you hold on to? Like, what grounds you? It's the other person and right. what they're doing. Right. And that's what we're talking. Which is improv. Yeah, is like build on whatever the other person yeah. is saying. And if you're lost, look to your partner. Yeah, which you just did instinctually. Right. It was kind of yeah. like I'm gonna I'm gonna just follow his lead. Yeah. Um. Now, and do you have any like visions of theater? Because I went and saw your vagina monologues, which was amazing. But that's like a theatrical piece. That was so different to me. That, to me, was... I'm, like, one of the only people in the world that hadn't seen the vagina monologues. I hadn't. Well, I'd read the book, but I hadn't until I saw your show. Oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. yeah. What kind of vaginas are we? Um, I almost I felt know. like, you know... Well, I'm, I mean, my vagina read the book, but she didn't see it, <laughs> so she's not fully uneducated. And I never told anybody... That I didn't, that was there, yeah. you know, because I was almost ashamed. And so when I was on stage, I was literally, literally, because my, my, my vagina was first. <laughs> my monologue sure was. was first out, and yeah. I was so glad that it was, and it was lighthearted. Yeah. Um, you got the first joke of the night? Right. It was more about pubic hair, and so it wasn't, I, I wasn't following anybody. Right. But the whole rest of the night, I was glued to, I was an audience member. Yeah. Because you could just like lay back. I mean, really. Um, I was glued to every single monologue to the point of, I was like, damn, I'm glad I didn't follow that. Right. Damn, I'm glad I didn't follow that. Didn't you think it was like an acting lesson? Just watching people's styles? It was. And, you know, I remember one monologue, I thought... Mm, that was a tough one. That shouldn't have been placed there. Oh, right, right. Because they can change the order. They can change yeah. the order. I would have moved that somewhere else. But... Your producer brain is yes. like... Yes. Yeah. But then, everybody who came up had a completely different, you know, of course, say, story. Yeah. That they were getting across. Some were lighthearted, some were deep, some were 
you know, tear producing, you yeah. know, so Wanda Sykes really surprised me. I didn't know she had that depth to her. I mean, I assumed it because I think comedy people all do, but uh, it was it was one of my favorites. I thought, I thought it was wonderful. Yeah. I thought it was sad and I thought it was funny. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something. One of my favorites was Jane Fonda's. Yeah. And because of the story. Yeah. And I almost thought it was like, a turn on when she talks about this man in the khakis that she would have looked over and never given a second look to and yet this man sexually turned like introduced her to herself right right yeah I mean that hit home for me like someone coming in and it's almost like introducing your body to you. Right. Right. Which is sort of what's going on with you now with this relationship. I almost feel like, like this man is... Reminding you. Reminding me of... Uh, everything about me that is... love where another person is involved you know that's a part of me that I I really kind of I'm discovering mm -hmm. you know I always say like I'm a late bloomer and damn I'm a late bloomer yeah you know it's true <laughs> in every area of my life yeah I've been a late bloomer and but yet when it does, you do get that thing, you're so much more appreciative than, you know, it's like, you know, you're starving and then someone puts a, gives you the best meal. And I'm not just saying this, you know, you can really take this sexually, but <laughs> I'm saying, you know, too, like, and it's seeing myself with somebody else. Yeah. I'm like it's just a reminder, oh, look right? Look at you. Look at you uh how you're feeling right now and and what it's like for a guy to come over and and cook for me. Like he comes over and he brings all the ingredients. And <laughs> I sit there cuz I do love cooking for you people, do. you know that. Yeah, you're amazing. And cook. to be cooked for and it's so yummy. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my gosh. And then I set a table out back with a candle, you know, and we eat and then we talk and then, you know. I mean, it's sort of the, like, it's like I'm almost watching myself be in a relationship. Yeah. You know, and I. But it's like you've carried, like, you've had to look after yourself for your entire life, it sounds mm -hmm. like through your, your childhood as well, mm -hmm. and then write for yourself through your shows, and somebody's being like, I got you for a while. Yeah, like, it almost like, wait a minute, let me give to you. Yeah. And then, here's the lesson that I'm able to receive, because I don't think, I think that was very hard for me, 
you know, um, and I'm watching myself being able to be given to. Yeah. And, you know, to receive, you almost have to learn if you come, like, become that self-sufficient, you know, to let somebody take care of you and... It's, it's Why do you think that took you so long to to be open to that? I became I got used to just having to be self-sufficient and um, and then you realize it's it's a good thing to say, you know, no, you can, you can wait a long time to be given to. But that's a bad attitude to have, you know, like, um, once you realize that you've got to give it to yourself, then it almost comes in. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't have the answers. You know, this is something that has been gradual. It's not something that happened overnight. Like I used to think, oh my God, Mm -hmm. I used to get so jealous when women hit 40 and they go... You know, when I hit 40, everything changed. I got so confident with myself. I got comfortable in my own skin and all this stuff like that. I'm like, damn, when am I going to be able to say that? At what fucking age am I going to say? And I'm just realizing it. it's not necessarily the number that it happened. It's just, yeah, you know, kind of like the timing of it. And that's so good to say out loud because I don't think that you're alone. I think that, you know, I see women at different ages going like, I turned this age and I don't give two fucks about anything. And I'm like, I always give a lot of fucks about all the things. Me too. And like it's I exhausting. Always, I always say like, sometimes I tried too hard. Right. You know, when it's... Like when I was in the Groundlings, I don't think I really fit into... My friends worked in the box office. Right. Because I was not cool in the way... I was so damn excited. You know... You were I like wore my the cheerleader heart. in yeah. reality. I, I, I wore my heart on my sleeve, yeah. and I just couldn't believe I found this, this outlet, this you know, this whole thing. Right. And I was like Tracy Flick in election. You know, I was just there five minutes before, yeah. stayed five minutes after. Yeah. I couldn't sleep when I went home if I didn't do well, and then I couldn't sleep when I went home if I did well because I was so you know emotionally you know, and I felt so lucky that something made me feel this way. And so I can't say that I was not cool and I was like a soldier. And I might have also been tough to maybe work with because I was so type A and disciplined. Mm-hmm. You know. You wanted it so badly, maybe I you yeah. had your blinders on. Yeah, like, come on, we gotta stop fooling around. Right, right. Yeah. Like, you know. Stop fooling around. we got some jokes to make. Uh, right. right. It, it, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, but to be able to create and also be a little looser. Yeah. You know, it's almost like you're trusting that you'll get there. Yeah. You know? Do you have any regrets about your relationships in those, those companies? Um... And the Groundlings, no. Because the guys in the box office that I was friends with, they were perfect for me at, at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I 
was not able it was perfect yeah you know like it's all right that I wasn't in with the popular group really um uh nothing was bad you know uh it was more teachers that were a pain in the ass like some you know there was the great thing it was like the, the the teachers that were not who didn't like me maybe taught me just as much as the ones that did like yeah. me yeah because it doesn't get any better you know you got SNL there's gonna be people in power that don't like you and then there's people that do appreciate you right and you know you can't always control that and you could just say, well, why doesn't this person like me? Why doesn't this person... And sometimes it's like, you know what? It's not even your business right. anymore. Yeah. You know, um, uh, just do your best. And yeah, I, I mean, I regret like, hmm. I don't have any regrets really where the groundlings are concerned. Um, hmm. But yeah, at SNL, I should have said goodbye. Yeah. You know, I should have... I should have just said goodbye. That's all. Yeah. You know, and, and, and given myself that, that closure instead of feeling like I was running mm -hmm. away from home. Is that ever something that you can see yourself doing now like you know in the world of um no I mean it's a lesson learned and you can all and and you know hindsight's 2020 yeah. you know you just have to learn the lesson and um and uh and move on um okay so I, I wrap it up by talking about any books or shows or podcasts or anything that you're inspired by um 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 um, um. I'm reading right now Leonardo da Vinci Oh, yeah. What brought you to that book? Because my friend was here and reading it, um, and he was like, "This book is so good." And and then I and I think someone else was reading it, and and I love when a story is retold about someone in history, and it, you you know they're not told. They're told it from the that this is a a real person, and you go through their emotions like you just think, oh, Leonardo da Vinci, yeah. this famous artist and everything. But it's almost like there was these three books that I read by Merrick Holter, and it was all about the women of the Bible, yeah, like Sarah and Zipporah, and these were women that were married to Moses and Abraham and and uh, Lila. And I remember I got hooked on these books about these women's stories that were told in a way that you were in their shoes almost. Right, yeah, You yeah. know, you could, you see them as a real person. Yeah. And, and I, that all came from The Red Tent. You, ever, you know, by Anita Demont. Okay, yes, the Red yes, Tent. yes, yes. And, uh, and so now I'm like, I'm discovering these people in history. Yeah, I love it. That, uh, and then it's kind of like, Leonardo da Vinci, I want to know what, and he's, my friend was like, 
you know, he was gay and he had lovers and he, um, you, know, you just think of, he is where science met art. Yeah. In a time that was, you know, the Renaissance. He was so, right. you know, and, and he wasn't Leonardo da Vinci back then. No, no. He was Leo. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And so, do you have um, any... Podcast, uh, I love Kevin, oh, yeah. um, Kevin Pollack. I did his podcast, and I had so much fun, and then I did a movie with him, and, and, uh, um... Uh, Rob Cordry and, oh, right. and and Dave Foley and Marilyn Rice Cub. Yeah, love Dave Foley. Marilyn Rice Cub and um and uh so he did uh, he interviewed Mary Lynn. Oh, okay. And so I listened to that and I love him and uh and I just, uh, yeah, I like I mean, his You're podcast. surrounded by such amazing people, you know, and you talk about like, I must be okay if this guy likes me. And yeah. I look at like the people around your world and I am such a fan of all of theirs. They're such lovely people that it just boosts up who you are too. Thank you. <laughs> you I know. I you... think it's like I'm around some pretty, you know, good people. Yeah, and, and that's not by accident. You know, they're there because you're pretty great. Yeah, and then I met you and Matt. That's so great. And it's kind of like, you know, it's like the universe is bringing such cool people into me. I've never had a, a ton of friends. Really? You know, I've always been That's more... That's so surprising. No, uh-uh. Because when we've been over here, I'm like, oh, this is how her life is. Surrounded by these fantastic people. No, no, no. I just got them all... <laughs> To come to my house because they were hungry. <laughs> Listen, I mean that's don't salmon. be fooled. People like to eat. I get it. You know what I mean? And <laughs> look, she's laughing in there. It's, it's like the truth. And come on, that's so that's... LA. It's like you go to someone's house and you just think, oh my god, this house is filled with laughter and, oh. and food and everything. You bring like that, that cheese tray out, that cheese board, right, 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 and it's a party. But that's the funny thing. It's like you have to create what you want. And me having people in my house and cooking for them and them laughing and saying they had the best night. Like Cameron. Yeah, so fun. You know, our mutual friend Cameron Mannheim, she provides that. She has people at her house all the time oh for games, games and dinners and jokes. And she creates an environment, you know, that is so beautiful. Yeah. And it's so healthy and right. And I want, inspiring. I'm so lucky to have this house. Oh, okay. I want to cook and have people and, you know, shoot the shit and laugh and yeah. to, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And it's like, I, I'm kind of simple that way. You know, I, I am not really into so much being a celebrity or anything like that. It's to me, I, I would rather, you know, have a handful of friends yeah. that I really like then, you know, uh, look like I've got, you know, I'm a social butterfly and, you You've know. you created a good world. Yeah. And what would you say to um, Sherry O'Terry, who was 10 years old and she didn't know any of this stuff existed? What advice would you give yourself? 
I would say it's going to be better than okay. Love that. I think you're dynamite. Ah, I, I love, love you, you so much. I think you're so fantastic. I feel so lucky that our paths have crossed. I know, me too. Um, me too. I just, I just can't wait to see what you do next. I'm always feeling that. And that's Sherry O'Terry. Honestly, we just, I just love her. I think she's so funny. She's so silly and funny and smart and kind. We had a dinner party there once. She made the salmon. Oh my God. I'm not sure, but I think she also had doggy bags for everybody. Ugh, it was great. And then Carmen always has this cheese board that's the length of like a tall basketball player. Like it's honestly, it's seven feet long or something like that. It's crazy. I guess basketball players are taller than that. She always lends it out to parties and then we um, a little cheese and everything. Anyway, uh, some of my favorite memories in Los Angeles are with Sherry O'Terry and I'm so happy that I got to share her with you. So let's keep in touch, okay? It's been so fun. Why would we not keep in touch? Go over to Sherry's social media and follow her to find out what she's working on, what she's joking about. She's friggin' awesome. Uh, that's Sherry O'Terry, C-H-E-R-I-O-T-E-R-I. Um, see her gorgeous dogs. Oh my God, she's got the cutest little dogs. Uh, while you're over there, go to Firecracker D-E-P-T and follow us on Twitter, Instagram. We would love it so much if you could just pop over to iTunes, subscribe, maybe leave a little comment because that all that stuff that helps us build our community and um, our membership because it is a membership. One day we'll have cards that you can laminate and we'll have events that you can say, oh, I'm a firecracker department member and, and people will give you, mm, I don't know, a do uh, no, an open door at the very least, maybe presents maybe snacks always snacks why would i ever be part of anything that doesn't have snacks all right folks you know the website it's firecrackerdepartment.com keep in touch with us drop me a line drop me a note about what you're working on and uh thanks for being part of the department i'm naomi sneakers bye for now <laughs>